السلام علیکم ورحمۃ اللہ وبرکاتہ بسم اللہ الرحمن الرحیم پیس بی آن یو آل آر لسنرس دس از ریڈیو وائس آف اسلام اینڈ یو ہیو ٹیون ان ٹو لائیو ڈرائیو ٹائم شو دس ایوننگ آئی ایم یور ہوسٹ ڈاکٹر طارق پاجوا اینڈ ٹوڈے ول بی ڈسکسنگ ٹو ویری امپورٹنٹ ٹاپکس ون آف دیم از اباؤٹ دی سینڈ وٹ وٹ does send mean and uh, how uh, recently it has been in the news and why special educational needs and disabilities particularly the children are suffering in in the united kingdom um you can um be part of the discussion if you want to join us you can ring us at 0208687787 or you can tweet at voice of islam uk So today's uh, topic is, is important. Many people are not even aware of that, but uh, recently it has been in the news and it has been in the discussions that the number of children with special educational needs is increasing, but the waiting times for a child education plan is struggling to meet demand. What's the impact on SEND children and their families? How can we ensure each child is given a fair and level playing field when it comes to attain education to the best of their ability. Join us as we discuss the need to never leave anybody behind. In the Holy Quran, Allah the Almighty says, Surely all believers are brothers. So make peace between brothers and fear Allah that mercy may be shown to you. So, um, uh, we are talking about SEND and uh, gov.uk states that the special educational needs and disabilities may affect a child's ability to learn in their behavior, ability to socialize, reading and writing, ability to understand and comprehend, concentration and energy levels, physical ability, all those. But uh, we, we do have some guests and we'll be speaking to them um, in details, asking them various questions. We have, right now, we have got Hannah and Vicky online. Hannah is a director of memberships and partnerships at Makaton and is joining us with her colleague, Vicky. Uh, welcome to Drive Time Show, Hannah and Vicky. Thank you for joining us this afternoon. Hello there. Um, thank you for having us this evening. Um, just to ensure we have my colleague um, Alex with us, Vicky couldn't make it today, but Alex is also a Makaton user and is a great representative of how Makaton can be embedded in the community. That's great. Thank you. Thanks, thanks for joining us this afternoon. So first question, can you start by telling us a little bit about Makaton? Yes, of course. So Makaton is a language program that combines signs, symbols and speech to provide multiple ways for someone to communicate The use of signs can support people who have unclear or no speech and symbols can help those who have limited speech and cannot or prefer not to sign. So Makaton really can help to transform the lives of those with communication difficulties by giving them a way to express themselves independently, which is proven to overcome frustration and promote inclusion. There are currently in excess of around 2.2 million people in the UK with speech, language and communication difficulties and over 1 million Makaton users. Okay, so um, I mean it's, it's a quite a big number, isn't it? So Yeah. Um, right, okay, so wherever Alex wants to uh, respond, I don't mind uh, who, who uh, a few responds to that. My next question is, is Makaton different from British Sign Language? 
Yes, it is. And um, Alex will, of course, um, pitch in um, at, this, at, at some other points throughout here. Um, so Makaton and British Sign Language, also known as BSL, are entirely distinct and connected with very different communities of people. So the Makaton Communication Programme has been developed over around 50 years ago, and it combines speech, signs and symbols, specifically aiding those with learning and communication difficulties it's not a complete language like BSL, but a communication system that supports spoken language. So Makaton uses a number of BSL signs, but also includes spoken English and symbols. Whereas BSL is a complete natural language with its own extensive vocabulary and word order, and predominantly uses, uses body language and signs with no speech. It's mainly used by the deaf community in the UK, and it is a culturally significant language for those who are hearing impaired or deaf. Okay, so so is, is you think it's it's more useful for the for the for the children who are affected? Well, it depends on the individual's ability. So BSL is used by those who are hearing impaired, so those people who are deaf, mm-hmm. and um, Makaton is used by those who have a learning or communication difficulty. So they have different audiences that they're designed to support, and children will use either of those dependent on which is. Um, which is prescribed to them by probably a speech and language therapist. So can the public get involved to learn more about Makaton or sign symbols? Yes, of course they can. A great starting point is to attend Makaton training, which is delivered by our network of over 1,200 tutors across the country. You can see where your local training is taking place on makaton.org, and this can be delivered in person or online, enabling you to choose what meets your needs. We also have a Makaton membership, which provides another level of flexibility and enables 24-7 digital access to all the symbols and signs of the Makaton vocabulary. There is a support of a vibrant online community giving you the help you need when you need it. And um, membership also gives you the ability to download your favorite content for easy offline access. And you can really broaden your experience with attendance of member events, supporting to embed Makaton into daily life. So our membership and training really goes hand in hand to support people through any instances of life. We also have an enhanced range of free resources available within our free membership, where we have a sign of the week, introducing a new sign and symbol to you weekly, and daily insights which support to identify signs and symbols so that you can get involved with interactive games. And we also provide free seasonal downloads to support with national areas of interest that are regularly promoted on our socials. Right. Okay. I'm. I'm sure that there there are people who obviously who have to deal with these children who are not able to communicate uh, as as the um, you know uh, common people they do. So they would uh, like to get involved and uh, know more about it, and and certainly that would be helpful. So can you share your understanding of the challenges faced by send children in communication? Yes, of course. I'm going to hand over to my colleague Alex. She has a great explanation. Okay. Great. Hi. As a child, I was unable to speak as I have autism, and I didn't say my first words till I was eight years old, and I faced many challenges. Mm-hmm. I often felt I could not access education like my peers, or what I could access was limited, and it was very hard to get that support written into uh, education health care plans. When I could communicate in school and who I could communicate with was limited, which in turn limited my opportunities to be involved in activities or events. 
there was definitely not enough training for staff. And outside of school, my parents were offered very little support. Often these same challenges are still faced today. Like me, many children today do not have enough people around them who know Makaton and can communicate with them. And this can increase behaviours as well as feelings of frustration and especially isolation. I had no one to socialise with during lunchtimes in school or outside of school at community events. And I hear similar stories from parents and educators today. Parents who wish it was easier for their children to make friends and educators who want to enable people to learn but don't know where to start. As a child, it also affected my health and well-being. Imagine not being able to tell somebody you're in pain and having to suffer in silence. It can be really scary when you can't tell somebody something important. And the biggest challenges faced today by some SENC children is simply that others do not know how to communicate with them. Okay, I, I mean, it's very, very interesting to hear directly from you because, you know, you are one of them who who has gone through this and has have, uh, you know, experienced firsthand uh, how, you know, and what, what difficulties you had and you had to face, um, you know, during uh, your communication. So it's, it's very interesting to hear directly from you. So um, do you think that, uh, you know, the, the current, uh, there has been a debate about the funding uh, what do you, uh, you know, what do you think about that? You know, how, do you think that more should be put in rather than, you know, talking about saving money? I think, to be perfectly honest, you have to spend money to save money. It's no good waiting until somebody hits that crisis point. You need to embed it early into life so that they don't face those challenges, which often end up costing more money to fix than they do to prevent. Right. Okay. So what role do you believe Mechaton plays in enhancing inclusion and social interaction for SEND children? Well, Mechaton gave me a way to communicate, which meant I could express my wants, needs, likes and dislikes. Mm -hmm. I could offer my own opinion, make choices and ask for help. I could access more education. And most importantly for me as a child, I could build relationships and friendships people that I could communicate with both in school and in the community. I could join in games and enjoy life the same as them. I asked my friend who has a son with Down syndrome yesterday how Macaton helps her son and she simply replied it makes the world more accessible for him and breaks down barriers. For me, my friend's son and so many others out there, Macaton can decrease behaviours, remove frustration. I was happier and smiled more and could express my own interests and beliefs. Makaton enabled me to even sign a poem at a wedding as a child so I could be included just the same as everybody else. I, like lots of people, felt that I was part of my community when Makaton was used. And with Makaton-friendly places popping up all over the country, people can access more and be understood in more places. When those around me could not use Makaton, I felt like I was only able to spectate, to watch life go by, never being included or wanted. But when people used Makaton with me, I was actually able to participate in life. I felt wanted, I could learn, thrive, and no longer felt isolated or excluded. Um, uh, Alex, I mean, you, you speak very well. So what has helped you the maximum that you have attained that degree of fluency in your language 
I mean, obviously, I can only speak for myself and everybody will have a different journey. But for me, that combination of signs, symbols and speech taught me the purpose of speech and how to articulate, how to make mouth shapes. And even now, I do still use Makaton to back up my spoken language. Um, it just really helped me link all the different things that create speech together. Okay, so um, thank you very much for that. So um, just a next question, anybody of you, anyone of you can answer that. What strategies do you employ to effectively teach Mechaton to send children with varying needs and abilities? Um, Hannah speaking here. So yes. um, Mechaton has varying levels of training, which is essential. It enables both families and professionals to gain an understanding as to how to begin, how to use symbols and how to sign with speech, followed by, most importantly, how to embed it. There's some examples that can lead on from the training and common approaches to teach varying abilities of, um, of children is through play, story time, songs and meal times. These are all fun and motivating environments, providing the opportunity to learn, but also also increase the opportunities to make choices and engage with communication. They provide motivating opportunities to say more or have the ability to say yes or no to a game or a food choice. Therefore, it builds confidence and helps the child to recognize the impact and importance of what communication can enable for them, which is what Alex experienced. And one of the key areas is to really submerge it into the environment through labeling the area with symbols to normalize and build up that recognition that a symbol is a method of communication. There are a range of resources to get started. We have seven-day trials of the Makaton membership to help you ask for ideas or search for signs and symbols to get you started. But most of all, have fun and tailor it to the needs of the child and the environment they are in. All children are different, and it's often those who are persistent and consistent that become brilliant communicators. That's great, Hannah. I think it's, it's uh, very interesting to talk to you, and uh, uh, I think Mechaton um, definitely is doing a very good job. And uh, I, I wish you well and and uh, success in this uh, project you are doing. And thank you for joining us this afternoon. I, I I am sure that that has been very useful for my listeners as well. Thank Incredibly you. so. Thank you very much. We, can I also mention that um, another really key point is to remember that Makaton isn't just for children, but a communication tool for life. Mm -hmm. And communication really is a daily part of life, and we need to ensure that the adult community is continued to be supported too. And we're also on the lookout to support us with vocabulary development opportunities. We have recently developed a faith-based training, and we're looking for opportunities to expand this into other faiths, such as Islam, so if there's anyone out there who's interested, please do get in touch on help at makaton.org if this is an area of interest. Um, I think Alex may have a closing comment as well that she would like to add in just to kind of really hone in the importance of the use of Makaton. Yeah, I just wanted to say that um, without Makaton, I wouldn't have had the opportunity to actually enjoy being a child and take part in my community to learn and to grow. And people wouldn't have been able to see my uh, potential I'm happy, and I've built such wonderful friendships and connections with the help of Makaton. Thank you Thanks, very much. Alex. Thank you very much, Alex and Hannah, both of you. Thank you for joining us this afternoon, and have a nice evening. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Bye-bye.
So that was uh, Hannah and Alex uh, who joined from Macaton and a uh, very interesting talk and uh, particularly Alex, uh, the way she spoke, very impressive. And uh, I think uh, that also shows how important it is to get support while you are in that position where, you know, you can... Um, you cannot reach your potential unless you are helped. And if you get a proper support, definitely that is going to um, enhance your opportunities uh, to achieve what you want to achieve. And that, that is what the purpose of, uh, you know, that that is the purpose of um, support which the government can give. But I was talking earlier about the um, government.uk state, um, you know, on its website it says that, um, you know, support, uh, some of the support these children and their families, they can receive um, from from this website. It indicates this SEN support either at school or college. They can get a EHC, the Educational Health and Care Plan for children aged up to 25 that have more complex needs. So so basically that's, that's what they should um, should receive, um, and we'll be we'll be talking in, in further details uh, on this topic. Uh, first, we have our next uh, guest, who is Andy Harper. Andy Harper uh, is from uh, Partnerships, Public Affairs, and Family Outcomes Director at Family Fund. I welcome him. Thank you very much for joining us, Andy, this evening on this Drive Time Show of on Radio Voice of Islam. Hello, and thank you for inviting me on to speak. Thanks. You're welcome. So straight away, um, I have one, my first question for you is, can you start by telling us a little bit about the mission and purpose of Family Fund? Yes, certainly. Um, family Fund's vision is that all families raising disabled and seriously ill children have the same choices, quality of life, opportunities, and aspirations as other families. Um, but they can face a wide range of barriers and issues including more difficult financial circumstances. On average, households with at least one disabled child need an extra £975 a month to have the same standard of living as non-disabled households. Then alongside the extra costs of raising a disabled child or young person, parent carers also have lower than average incomes uh, due to the significant time they spend providing care. Our, our own research shows that over a third of the primary carers and families are providing 100 or more hours of care for their disabled children every week. So we therefore particularly focus our support on low-income families who are, um, by providing support that helps them to better manage their children's care and support needs, do more of the things that matter to them, better manage financially and better access the information and support they need, all of which helps improve their health, well-being and quality of life. So how do you plan on achieving this? Uh, so Family Fund, we, we provide a wide range of grants uh, as well as information and other practical support to help meet different family needs. So grant items can include things like kitchen appliances, furniture, clothing, family breaks, sensory toys and computers and tablets. Really, whatever is going to make a positive difference for the family. We have different grant programmes across the UK, so it's best to have a look at our website to see the detail of what's uh, available um, in each nation. But most of our grants are for families with disabled children up to the age of 18, but we do have some support for disabled young people aged 18 to 24, mainly through our Your Opportunity grant programme. So last year we, we provided over 175,000 grants and services across the UK, and we're continually working to grow the support that we can offer. 
But we estimate that there are almost 580,000 families and 760,000 disabled children that may be eligible for our support. So we've got more to do. But it's not just through our grants and services that we're trying to make a difference for disabled children and their families. We also try to make sure that families' voices are heard by government policymakers and others who are in a position to make positive change. So we share findings from our families' research, family research and we make sure that there are opportunities for families to tell their stories. Okay, great. Um, you know, there is a report in the BBC which states that too many children with special needs and disabilities get lost in the system and fall through the cracks. I would like to hear your opinion about that. Yeah, uh, I think that related to a, a SEND Special Educational Needs and Disability Education Inspection that was carried out in Suffolk by the Care Quality Commission and by Ofsted, where there were significant concerns identified. I think what we see is that the type and level of support that is available does vary significantly between areas. Uh, but we know from our research that one of the things that families raising a disabled child say they're most concerned about is their children's education. Mm-hmm. And that's in different areas. So um, that can be from that initial identification uh, of there being a, a special educational uh, need or, or disability uh, and provision of an education, health and care plan in a timely manner. Uh, it can be accessing uh, the specialist report that's requ- required. You know, it could be educational psychologist, speech and language therapists, and so on. And there can be gaps and provisions and, and big waiting lists to be able to access those specialists. And then a, a particular issue is transition between schools. So when people finish their primary, when children finish their primary education, and perhaps move to a different uh, secondary level school. All the support that's been in place, they need to try and um, rebuild that again in a new school environment. And, and often children can fall through the gaps and lose that sort of level of support they had at that point. Um, also, the evidence shows that mainstream schools can be less able to meet the needs of many children with, with SEND, uh, less able than specialist schools. There could be different reasons behind that. Perhaps there's greater budget constraints or it's the nature of the curriculum uh, or, or assessment in those schools. But yeah, findings are that um, mainstream schools, perhaps there are more issues in being able to cater properly, properly for, for pupils with, with SEND. You know, many, many of the parents, they complain that, uh, you know, even to get their children diagnosed, it takes a long time because of, you know, lack of uh, maybe the specialists who, who can identify people, particularly people with ADHD, people with autism. And, and because of, you know, long waiting, and unless they have a diagnosis, they can't get the funding. And that's where, you know, there is, um, um, there is a lack and a gap when the children are being picked up. Uh, that's right. There can be there can be lengthy waiting lists, um, and really the the proper sort of support can only be put in place once, often once that diagnosis has, has taken place, and and an education, health, and care plan can be put in place. Uh, you do get examples of some families actually paying themselves for assessment and, and diagnosis uh, just because it is taking so long to be able to to get that. Do you think uh, there are enough services currently for children with SEND and their families? Well, <coughs> Family Fund, we're a member of the Disabled Children's Partnership, which is a, a coalition of over 120 charities that support disabled children. An analysis that was commissioned by the pa- partnership 
in 2021, mm-hmm. found that there's a £573 million funding gap in disabled children's social care and a £1.5 billion gap in disabled children's NHS spending. Now, this gap is growing as failure to intervene early leads to higher costs in the longer term, as well as increased costs in other areas of family expenditure. And as the families are feeling the effects, so the partnerships failed and forgotten research last year found that about the half of parents of disabled children are unable to work and have experienced poverty because of the lack of support for their child. Seven out of ten parents said their disabled children's health had deteriorated because of the lack of support. Uh, only one in three disabled children has the correct level of support from education settings. Only one in seven families had the correct level of support from social care. Only one in five has the correct level of support from health services. And overall, only one in five felt that their family received the support needed for their child to fulfil their potential. And sadly, over a third of parents had experienced marriage and relationship breakdown over the previous year as a result of the lack of support for the disabled child. With this being an election year, the, the Disabled Children's Partnership has developed a manifesto with with a call to all the major political parties to consider disabled children and their families in their respective manifestos. So we and all the other members of the partnership are calling for parties to, to make disabled children a priority, both at, both at a national and local level and across different services, to commit to making the system work better, upholding disabled children's entitlements, improving accountability and preventing silo working, and to properly invest in support, increasing overall funding and investing in the workforce. We think those all those are all key things to making sure there is the, the support available that families need. Thank you very much, Andy, for that. One last question before you go. In, uh, you know, any suggestions in what way can the public support this cause and other organizations alike? Uh, so in terms of supporting Family Fund, if, if your listeners know families with disabled or seriously ill children, mm-hmm. I'd ask them to please tell them about, about us and the support we can provide. Well, word of mouth is how many people get to hear about us. Uh, we, in turn, try to make sure that families know about the range of relevant support that's been provided by, by other organisations. Then we, like other charities, we also need to continue to bring in funding to be able to do what we do. So if anybody is interested in fundraising for Family Fund or donating to us, please do have a look at our website. That's www.familyfund.org.uk. So finally, I'd say we're also planning to introduce a number of new volunteering roles. If that's of interest to any of your listeners, do keep an eye out for more details later in the year. Volunteering is a great way of making a positive difference and, and many people who volunteer really benefit from doing so. Thank you. That's great. Andy, thank you very much uh, for joining us this afternoon on Driver Time Show. I'm sure uh, you know many of our listeners would be uh, would like to invo- get involved into this one. And um, thank you for, uh, for joining us this afternoon. Have a nice That's great. evening. Thank you. You too. Thank you. Bye. 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 Uh, that was uh, our guest Andy Harper from Family Fund. He's a director and he was uh, obviously um, telling us about the problems they have and how we can support and uh, help these organizations um, to get to achieving what um, what we should be providing to these people who are, uh, you know, who belong to that category of send. They have special needs um, for their education and they have uh, disabilities. And in the, we have initially seen that uh, one of the children, 
uh, has how once she got the support, how he, she developed into, uh, you know, somebody who is, is very beneficial for the society and uh, a great inspiration as well. So we'll uh, we'll be speaking about a few more guests regarding this this topic, and I was uh, talking to you about uh, you know the news uh, which uh, the the report which the CQC has given, as well as uh, the organization uh, of Stad, which they have they have looked into the system and they have um, what they have said is that. Uh, um sent children have been living in a system that has not worked well for a long time and that often children only receive the right level of support when they have reached a crisis point so um uh, further uh, talking uh, further about this we have our next guest who is Tania Tiraoro, she can correct me if my, my my pronunciation is not correct. Uh, she's co-director of Special Needs Jungle, and uh, I welcome him, welcome her on the show. Thank you very much for joining us, Tania. Uh, welcome to our show. Thank you. It's nice to be here. Thank you. Uh, my first question to you is: Can you start by telling us what the Special Needs Jungle is all about? Um, well, I started it um, back uh, fifteen years ago now, but. Um, 2008, just after I got what was then a statement from my youngest, um, I saw there were many other parents whose children were not getting statements or support, whose children's needs were much more profound than mine, and I couldn't figure out why. Um, my background is in journalism and broadcast journalism, so I decided I would write down what I did um, in the hope that that would help some other people. Um, and it just kind of grew from there because I didn't really want to write about my family. So I wrote about lots of different resources out there. And that was when the previous set of reforms before 2014 were coming in. So we just started writing about um, about that. Okay. And in what ways is your website different to informational websites provided by the government, uh, for example? Well, we We write so that people can understand what it is we're talking about, whereas the government seems just for itself. Um, and also, you know, it, it uses very complex languages sometimes, um, and, and it's full of kind of propaganda, whereas we get to the heart and talk about what is important to families and what this initiative or that initiative means for you. Pitfalls are you know, what they, you aren't being told and how to respond to it. Um, okay, Tanya, what are some common misconceptions people have about individuals with special needs and their families? Well, the, the biggest one we, we, we see, which we're seeing even more, it seems to be driving up at the moment, is that it's, it's parents driving it with their sharp elbows, trying to get what is often described as a gold standard, education that an EHCP is a golden ticket and these are really pernicious narratives mm -hmm. um, that are absolutely not true nobody would try to get an EHCP for the fun of it I mean it it, it take, can take years it takes your mental health it takes your physical health it can damage your relationship and all the while you see all the while you see your child not getting the support they need and it really happens 
you know, by the time by that time it happens, they can't even get to school. Right. Okay. And uh, what what are some legislative changes or policy reforms you believe could significantly improve the lives of the individuals with special needs and their families? Well, you know, the law is fine. There is nothing wrong with the law that we had that was passed in 2014, the Children and Families Act. The problem is mm-hmm. councils do not comply with it. Um, they have their own policies and trump the law. Um, what we what we really need is more funding within the system mm-hmm. to support children at an earlier stage in um, some way to local authorities to account. I mean, at the moment, you can send tribunal. Parents prevail at the 78.3% of the time, basically all the time, mm-hmm. local authorities lose. And parents can go to the ombudsman after they've been through the local authority complaint system. Again, that is a long road. It is, it is very stressful. And at the end of it, you might get a few hundred pounds, if that. But your child has still missed out on education for all that length of time. So we really need an accountability system that works. Now, the government at the moment is putting through some new um, reforms, um, a new new system. In fact, all they needed to do was what I've just said, make the law work but they decided to put new structures in place. And some of these reforms are quite good, like a digital EHCP, wherever you live. Um, But some of them are just not necessary. And they seem to have missed the point that it's local authorities are not complying with the law. There will be no legal changes. So whatever they change will not be law. So why should a local authority who's already ignoring what the law says comply with anything else that the DFE does. So, Tanya, um, just one last question before you go. That You know, of course, funding is a major issue, but is there any advice you would like to give for those who are suffering or who they are in a position where they need help? I'm, I'm sorry, you broke up then. Could you repeat that? Uh, I said that if uh, you have any advice for those people who are like in, the, in that particular group of children who are in need with the special uh, educational needs and disabilities and the families, do you have any advice for them? Um, sorry, I still, I still really can't hear what, what you're saying. But I mean, what I will say is that you know, um, more and more families are becoming active and are protesting um, cuts that are happening within local authorities. Um, um, I would like to direct anybody who wants to get involved to our website, specialnewsjungle.com, and also to sendcommunityalliance.org.uk, where you can find out more, um, get involved, get in touch with us, let us know what is happening in your area. Um, we do know that you know families from marginalised um, communities have it much worse than than other families as well. So we we really need to do more. Um, in that respect as well. Thank you, Tanya, uh, for joining us this afternoon. Uh, I think that's what I was looking for. Thank you for giving that message. And thank you for joining us this evening. Have a nice evening. Bye-bye. Thank you. Thanks very much. 
Uh, that was uh, Tanya, our guest, uh, Tanya Tiraro. She is co-director of Special Needs Jungle, and she has spoken about um, the send uh, people who are uh, in uh, special needs for education and disabilities and their families, how they can be helped. So um, quite an interesting um, um, discussions with the with our guests who are obviously more involved into um, this uh, uh, children with the special needs, uh, uh, special educational needs, and those with the disabilities, and how are they how they are being affected? How these organisations, the various organisations, they are trying to help. But of course, the the major issue here it is the funding, because uh, you know the, although the the legislation is there, uh, but to to implement the policies to act upon it, um, and the councils they are finding difficult because of the lack of funding. And the lack of funding is a major issue everywhere at the moment. I think that needs to be looked at. And if uh, you know the, it is, it is put in the right uh, direction. It's put in the right place. That is what is going to help, and that is what is going to take away many of the issues and and the objections which are you know, being uh, on the um, you know there has been uh, sort of. Uh, Remarks which has been passed in the discussions regarding the um, the send, um, they uh, there has been comments that these these comments were discriminatory. They were stigmatizing. They were because they were ill ill informed and uh, at best, and they were even harmful at worst. So these were the the, the comments of uh, of many many people who were. Uh, um, who were involved into uh, who looked at the discussions which have been taking place after the report which has come out by the Ofsted and the CQC, uh, particularly um, the watchdogs in Suffolk. They have spoken and they've said that too many children with special needs and disabilities um, they got lost in the system and they uh, they fall through the cracks. So um, I, I think it's, it's, it's quite uh, quite an uh, important topic. And um, last month, the BBC released an article on Warwickshire parents fearing to complain about special needs transport. The Warwickshire County Council is considering changing the transport service for children with SEND to cut costs. Parents are scared to complain in case their child is directly affected by the cuts. Uh, for a lot of people with special needs, change is horrendous, um, said Mrs. Bendrick Royston of Lemington Spa. She adds that change is scary. It can absolutely alter their lives and the lives of their families. These children are not just lines on a spreadsheet. Um, again, another magazine uh, uh, released an article on this topic and said that when people express their fears, tied to bad public policies or abusive practices, they are often dismissed as over-anxious and irrational. The Holy Quran says, O ye who believe, let not one people deride another people who may be better than they, nor let women deride other women who may be better than they, and defame not your own people, nor call one another by nicknames. Bad indeed is evil reputation, after the profession of belief and those who repent not are the wrongdoers. And in their wealth was a share for one who asked for help and for one who could not. That is uh, verse 51 from chapter 20, 
So that's, um, that's according to, the, uh, to Islam, a Muslim's wealth is a trust for the benefit of mankind, which the poor, sick, and weak are all partners in, and therefore have a right to share whether they express their needs or not. Again, according to the Holy Prophet of Islam, uh, one of his tra- traditions, he says, the similitude of believers in regards to mutual love Affection and fellow feeling is that of one body. When any limb in the body aches, the whole body aches because of the sleeplessness and fever. So that, that's a very good example of how a society works. A society should work as if, if a part of society anywhere is suffering, the others should feel that pain and be there for them and try to do the maximum what they can do to, to get rid of, uh, of that problem, that issue. So a report in July 2023 stated that councils are accusing the government of losing its grip as thousands of children and their families wait for an EHCP. Um, And the EHCP is an important part of supporting these groups and must be issued within um, 20 weeks being applied for. But analysis of government um, data reveals this deadline is missed in a staggering um, half of all cases, meaning thousands of children are having to wait. The report gave the example of a boy named George who has a complex speech disorder. George is due to go to high school next year but cannot read or write. He has been waiting years to see if he has autism. The boy was turned down multiple times for an EHCP which was supposed to give him access to extra help and help him in his learning disorder. So that's what we discussed earlier with one of our guests as well, that the problem is, uh, of course, uh, the, the problem is that of funding, but, but the children, they are, they are waiting a long time just to be diagnosed because they won't get an access to, the, to their needs uh, um, until they have a diagnosis. And, and for diagnosis, it is taking long, there are long waiting lists and uh, that is that is what is ca- causing problems at uh, uh, at various places. The the second caliph of Islam, Hazrat Umar bin Al Khattab, may Allah be pleased with him. He allocated for the people with special educational needs and disabilities a fixed salary from Battle Mall, that was a, the public treasury. While his great grandson, the Umayyad Caliph and the first Mujaddid in Islam, Umar bin Abdul Aziz, issued a decree uh, throughout all the Islamic states saying, Write to me about every blind, disabled, and paralyzed person or anyone who suffers from any chronic disease that prevents him from attending the prayers. Um, after he re- received the required list, he made a census of each category then ordered that there should be an employee to accompany every blind person to lead and take care of him. He further instructed that everyone who suffers from a chronic disease or disability should have a servant to serve and take care of him. So this is this is about uh, Umar 
bin Abdul Umar bin Khattab, who was the second caliph of Islam, uh, and also uh, Umar bin Abdul Aziz, who was, uh, of course, uh, one of his relatives. But he's also considered, and, and some people consider him as a part of the pious caliphate, the way he behaved and the way he followed the commandments of uh, of God Almighty according to the Holy Quran, and, and he followed that. So we, we do have our next guest, who is uh, Sophie Ahmed. She is with us. Uh, she is from the Sen Department in Lajna Imailah. That is the Ahmadiyya Muslim Women's Association. I welcome her on the show. Uh, Assalamu alaikum. Peace be on you, Sophie Ahmed. Thanks for joining us. Wa alaikum salam. Thank you for having me. So, um, Sophie, thank you. Uh, can you tell us about the team and your role? Yeah, so um, a few years ago, there was a Shura proposal, so a proposal within our community on the ladies' side that um, there was a need to address um, a lack of provision for children with special educational needs and um, adults. So we we went through the process and the hoops and went through a vote. And then um, this committee was formed, um, a SEND court, uh, committee. And... Um, from that committee, basically, um, professionals and parents who had any kind of experience with, of children with special needs or adults with special needs were asked to um, join to give their um, input um, on how we as a community could improve special needs provision. Um, so I, as a, a teacher and former deputy and head, and now I'm in school improvement as a schools inspector. I wasn't then, but I am now. So I was asked to um, join the team. Um, and that work has just helped to facilitate send provision um, for um, on the women's side of our community, um, but for, you know, young children and um, women and girls. Um, and that work has also um, taken us abroad. So we've lent our services and the committee is, um, has doctors, teachers, physiotherapists, psychiatrists, you name it, any professional that can help in this area. Oh, that's great. That's uh, good to hear that. So do you think it's important to have a designated SEND team in every organization? Yeah, I just think that special needs are just a part of society. And if you don't have people who, uh, I mean, I think we're still being trained as a society um, to raise awareness and make sure that we have provision. So, and it doesn't come necessarily naturally. So, at this stage, um, yeah, I think that all organisations should um, have uh, special needs representatives who make sure that people with special needs are having their needs met. So, in your experience, are children with special needs stigmatised within the Muslim community, and does this align with Islamic values and teachings? I mean, they're not stigmatized in Islam, but they're certainly um, stigmatized within um, minority communities where there's, um, you know, historically a lack of knowledge and, you know, culturally, even things like um, depression, you know, uh, mental health uh, illnesses in um, adults, young people that not uh, fully accepted. So to raise awareness with um, with regards to special needs has definitely been um, a challenge. Okay, so um, all children have 
their own unique challenges and needs. So how does your team ensure that all the needs of the SEND are met in your community? I mean, there's certain baselines that we have tried to provide for. Um, one of the things is that in our, when we have conventions, we've, we created a few years ago a special needs card, ID card. Mm-hmm. Um, and that meant that um, attendees, if you're attending any kind of um, convention, you can go at the front of the queue if you've got a special needs child or you are yourself special needs so you don't have to line up um, in getting in, getting out, using the facilities, getting food. Um, We have a special needs, um, we always have a special needs desk, but on the larger conventions, we have a special needs tent, a marquee, um, and that has um, therapy equipment and resources, and it's just a safe safe place. But in addition to that, we have architects on our team as well. Um, and so it's really going around and checking in terms of access. So most buildings now, uh, particularly ones that are being built um, new, they facilitate disabilities and special needs. But that's the kind of thing that we help with. We also help with um, our knowledge base. So if um, families uh, need help in terms of local authorities and the law, um, then we can give our advice and support. Um, And we have have WhatsApp groups as well, support groups for mums, and just to help. Okay, that's great. I think that's uh, a good advance on, you know, what, what it was, because rather than... Um, you know, having nothing, and now you have some some somebody who can take care, and and particularly a department who who can make people aware of of this that uh, they should be. There are people in the society who need um, additional help, and and they are there and they are aware of it. So thank you very much. Uh, thank you yeah. for joining us and uh, giving answers to our questions, uh, and that will be very beneficial for our listeners. Uh, Jazakallah. Thank you for joining us, and have a nice evening. Yeah. Thank you. That was Sophie Ahmed from the Sen Department in Lajnaimala, our ladies' organization in Amdia Muslim Association. Um, so we have we, we, we've spoken to our guests in details about uh, the Sen, the special needs, special education needs and uh, disabilities, and how the, the people who are, uh, you know, obviously part of this group, they can be helped. Islam in particular um, gives uh, emphasis on um, helping those who are who have a, a physical disability. Um, the Holy Quran says those who are believers who, who sit still accepting and the disabled ones and those who strive in the cause of Allah with their wealth and their persons are not equal. Allah has exhorted in rank those who strive with their wealth and their persons above those who sit still. And to each Allah has promised good and Allah has exhorted those who strive above those who sit still by a great reward. The Holy Prophet of Islam, Prophet Muhammad, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, was sitting with his companions and a man passed by them, upon which some of them said, he is a madman. The Messenger of Allah said, may peace be upon him, stop, the madman is the one persists on disobedience to God Almighty, and this man is suffering from an affliction. In Islam, the requirements of people with special needs and disabilities must be met and listened to. The Holy Prophet, may peace be upon him, once left his assembly to meet the requirements of a woman with a special need. Anas, uh, who was a companion of the Holy Prophet, may peace be upon him, uh, he reported that a woman with a cognitive disability addressed the Holy Prophet, saying, O Allah's Messenger, 
I want something from you. He replied, oh, mother of so-and-so, see on which side of the road you would like um, to stand and talk to me so that I may do whatever you require of. He stood aside with her on the roadside until she got what she needed. And Abu Ad-Dardar narrated that, the, uh, that he heard the Holy Prophet, may peace be upon him, saying, Seek your weak for me, for you get your sustenance aid through your weak ones. So this is uh, how important it is in Islam that uh, the those who are not fortunate enough should be looked after. We have news now, and after that, please join us in the second hour. Allah. You're listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. Assalamu alaikum. Welcome back to the Drive Time Show, second hour. Um, the first hour we discussed about the send people uh, with the special educational needs and disabilities. This hour we have uh, for you a very important and interesting topic, and that is about God Almighty. So I'm, I'm sure you'll uh, like to listen to it. How can we get closer to him? Um, that is the answer we are going to discuss during this hour. And you can join in if you want to. Uh, you can ring on 0208-687-7878. Or you can tweet also at uh, Voice of Islam UK. Um, so what is the purpose of life? God Almighty has given this purpose of life and the Holy Quran says and I have not created the jinn and the men but that they may worship me this is uh, from the um, from chapter 51 verse 57 so this verse is a profound reminder of our primary purpose on this earth to worship Allah and to establish a deep connection with him you see we we don't come to to this earth on our own accord it is in somebody else's hand who has sent us to this world. And of course, if he, if he has sent us, then he has sent us with a purpose. And the purpose, what he has told us is that we do develop a deep connection with him. We communicate with him. And, and that is how we can learn more about ourselves as well as we can, um, we can live our life to our contentment. Because if we look at, uh, you know, the, the desires we have, um, there is no limit. You know, some people can, can desire of something and then they, when, once they have achieved that, then the desire goes further. You, go, you want to achieve more. Yes, of course, this is something which is required for your progress, for your development. Uh, and uh, any progress in the world cannot be made without this urge of, of getting to a better position. But then... Do you get contentment out of that? You know, if you own a big house, if you own a big car, if you own a, own a, um, a, for an airplane, if you, you can travel in a rocket, well, wh where is the limit? But are you satisfied with that? Are you, do you get contentment? That is the question. So how can we truly worship Allah in a manner that brings us closer to him? Because when we get closer to him, and this is again a verse of the Holy Quran which says that you cannot get contentment unless you remember Allah. 
That's the translation of what uh, um, uh, the verse is. And uh, so how can we feel his presence and guidance in our everyday lives? Today's discussion is aimed at exploring these critical questions and will delve into the authentic ways prescribed by Islam to not only fulfill our purpose of worship, but to also cultivate a relationship with Allah that is based on love, devotion, and proximity. I think that's 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 one point which which should be very um, one should be very clear about that that we have a fear of Allah that fear of Allah is not because he um, God forbid is a, is a monster or something or somebody who is very cruel he's a very loving God so the fear is the fear is that he should not get on uh, get angry with us he should not go away from us we want to keep we want to have a close relationship to him. Just like a father, you know, if he gets angry with a child, the child has a fear, always have a fear that my father may get angry if I do this. So he has that kind of fear. He's not, he's fear of, he has a fear of losing his love rather than a fear that he's, he's going to beat me up or he's going to be um, mad at me. But the fear that, you know, I may, may lose the love he has for me. That kind of love, we want to have that love from our God Almighty because he is, not only that he knows our needs, he fulfills all our needs even before we tell him that this is our need. He is aware of that and he fulfills those needs. Like he he, he created our parents before we were born. We didn't have an, any idea what our needs are. So not only that, when we work hard, then he, he gives us the fruit of our hard work as well. And that is, um, that is various attributes of the, of the Creator. And he shows, um, through his attributes, he shows that he exists and he is there for you. So to understand God's existence before we can aspire to draw close to Allah, it's essential to fortify our understanding and believe in his existence. The foundation of a fulfilling relationship with God begins not just with belief, but with a deep, unwavering conviction in his presence. Hazrat Mirza Bashiruddin Mahmud Ahmad, may Allah be pleased with him, he was the second caliph leader of the worldwide Ahmadiyya Muslim community. He wrote a book which was titled The Existence of God, and he laid out foundational arguments for the existence of God which collectively offer a powerful framework for strengthening our faith. And uh, we'll be discussing in details the, oh, uh, some of the arguments he presented in this book. The very first one he said is the cosmological argument. This argument states that everything that begins to exist has a cause. The universe began to exist, therefore it must have a cause. This cause, uncaused and outside of time and space, is what we understand as God. By recognizing the universe's intricate order and the very fact of its existence, we can see the hand of a creator at work, inviting us to seek a deeper connection with him. The author, Hazrat Mirza Bashiruddin Mahmud Ahmad, May Allah be pleased with him. He narrated that once there was a philosopher who met an illiterate Arab. The philosopher asked him, do you believe in God? He said, yes, I do. 
He then asked, what proof do you have for the existence of God? And he replied, excrement is a proof for or the, for the existence of camels and tracks of footsteps is a proof of the presence of a traveler. Why then is the sky full of stars and the earth full of pathways not a proof of the existence of God, the inc incomprehensible, the wise? So that's, you know, somebody who is, uh, who is an illiterate person, he has his own argument, and he says that if you can see, uh, you know, the excreta the, um, uh, of the animals and you can recognize that, you know, that animal has passed this way, how can you not recognize God who has created, you know, such a huge universe and you can see the stars and the moons and the... Um, so why can't you, you know, a, a common man can think about that there is a creator behind it. Very simple, but very um, very positive, very uh, powerful um, argument. The second argument uh, he has given is the argument of design. When we observe the complexity and order within the universe, from the vast galaxies to the delicate balance required for life to exist on Earth, it points towards a designer. This argument suggests that just as a watch implies a watchmaker, the natural world's complexity and order imply a conscious and purposeful creator. Understanding the des this design encourages us to appreciate and seek closeness to the designer. The Holy Quran states, who has created seven heavens in harmony? No incongruity Canst thou see in the creation of the gracious God? Then look again, seest thou any flaw? So the thing is that if we look around us and if we look at the, um, uh, you know, the, the creation of the, the heavens and the earth and then we see all the, how systemically the things have been made. So, uh, so he's given this example of the watchmaker that if you look at the watch, you can never think or, or if you tell somebody that this all this system with which this watch is giving correct time, you know, everything is moving in order and all this has been created just by chance or, uh, or they say there is, there is another example that, you know, if you think that a Boeing 747, it was prepared because, uh, you know, all the um, different parts, um, there was a uh, windstorm, and after that, with the windstorm, every part got together into uh, into a proper place, and then it started functioning, and even it started flying. So it is not possible. The people would think you are crazy if you think like that. So why on earth, we, when you when you look at the heavens and the earth, that the way it has been created so systemically, everything is working in organization, everything is going around its orbit. And why why don't you think of there is a creator who has created all that, and and that is why everything is so organized and so, um, and that is uh, that is if we look at the design the way. Uh, the heaven and the earth has been made, and this is something we can see. It's not you have to you don't you don't have to study much. You just look around, and you can find that. Now, another argument is the the third argument, which is called the moral argument. Our inherent sense of right and wrong, which transcends cultural and personal preferences, suggests the existence of a moral lawgiver. This argument states that if objective moral values exist, which they do, then God must exist as the source of these morals. By aligning ourselves with these moral truths, we align ourselves 
with the divine, fostering a closer relationship with Allah, the Almighty. Now, the thing is that if we start thinking that there are so many things happening in this world, sometimes, you know, some, some people are very cruel and they, um, they commit such atrocities and, that, and, and then you see that they can get away with it and they are not punished. And then, uh, you know, even the, the human, the law made by humans, they can deceive it. And through this reception, they, they never um, sort are taken to the task. They are not, uh, you know, they, they don't get the appropriate um, punishment for that. Or maybe for that matter, they're the people who do lots of good things. And they do it quietly and without anybody knowing about it. And uh, then, uh, you know, apparently they don't get any reward for it. So uh, there should be somebody or there should be a system uh, which should reward him for that. And similarly, there should be a system that nobody goes unpunished who has done something, who is able to deceive the law, but he is still um, is held responsible for what he has done. He is accountable. So the accountability, and that's the, the moral arg argument, that uh, they, they should be, all these, all these uh, arguments, they are actually pointing towards that there should be a system where there should be um, accountability, and that accountability, if it does, if there is no God, then you see, then this world will turn into a chaos because people will think anything they can do, if they can get away with it, if they can deceive people, then that's fine. That's uh, so. So to say, if, if that thinking develops in this world, the society, it will all become chaos and it will be difficult to survive for um, for somebody um, who wants to live peacefully in this world. So that is uh, another argument. It is a very strong argument that, you know, th there is a need for God. We, we do need to have a God who can respond, who can um, reward, who can punish, who can do justice, uh, who can ha hold us accountable for what we do or anybody does for that matter. So the fourth argument which has been mentioned by Hazrat Mirza Bashiruddin Mahmood Ahmad, the second head of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, may Allah be pleased with him, he said that there is an argument for, from consciousness. Our consciousness, the subjective experience of beings, suggests more than just a physical basis for our existence. This argument suggests that the immaterial nature of our consciousness points to a reality beyond the material world, hinting at a creator who is the source of our consciousness and being. By acknowledging this, we acknowledge a profound connection with Allah who is beyond the physical realm. So, so the thing is, that is, that is what is required um, if, if you think, you know, you have to, you, you, you have to think about this, that uh, we are, uh, we have been given a brain, wisdom, wisdom to think. And that is one difference which makes it different from the other animals. The human beings, they have been, the human beings have been granted with a working, functioning brain and if this is a functioning brain then it it has to think and if one thinks then one reaches the, uh, the point one acknowledges that uh, you know that if it's the awareness the awareness that they 
certain things we think about this, that there, there should be a God. There should be, you know, one thing takes us to another thing, another thing takes us to another thing. But where is the ultimate? Where does it all end? There should be a, a point where it, uh, uh, where, uh, where you see that uh, you, you, there, there should be a limit. And, and, uh, and when we, we are trying to reach, yes, that, that's where everything ends. That's, that's, the, that's the highest point. That is where there is some creator who has created all that. And then again, you know, uh, opposite to that, if you start thinking that everything vanishes, everything is, there is a decay, there is a, they, they finish. Um, everything what has been created, it is, it is destroyed, it's the, the destruction takes place. So even human beings, they die and they, um, they vanish. So there is something, there's, there has to be something which does not decay, which does not disappear, which does not vanish. So it exists. So when everything is destroyed, one thing which remains is that is, that is what is God. So by exploring and understanding these arguments, we can strengthen our belief in God's existence. This belief is the first step towards building a closer, more personal relationship with, with Allah, the Almighty. It lays the groundwork for not only acknowledging His presence, but also feeling His guidance and love in our daily lives. With a strong foundation of faith, we are better prepared to explore the practices and beliefs that draw us nearer to Him, making our worship and devotion more meaningful and fulfilling. So, uh, now the, the question is: Yeah, we all discussed about the uh, the logical conclusion that there has to be a God. There has to be somebody so who has created all that, and that is the logical conclusion of all our discussions, which we have just made. We have gone to, to through the, the various arguments, and and just to summarize that, these arguments were the first one was that of the argument of the, the cosmological argument, that if we, if we look at the cosmos, we, we see that somebody has created it. The argument of design, that the perfect design, which is functioning, that uh, that functioning um, of the design also uh, points out towards the existence of God. Then there is a moral argument. There's an argument for, from consciousness. And and through all that, we, we reach to the conclusion that there, there should be God. And uh, we, we do have our uh, guest uh, in this, sh uh, this uh, show, uh, this part of the show, and the topic, as you know, we are discussing God Almighty, His existence, how we can reach Him. So we have Imam Alim Zia, who is a Jamia UK graduate, and he's, complete, he's currently completing his training in Islamabad. I welcome him on the show. Assalamu alaikum, peace be on you, Imam Alim Zia. Thank you for joining us this afternoon. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you very much. So first question to you, as we strive to draw closer to Allah, why is it that we cannot perceive his presence directly and how should believers understand this aspect of their faith? So, of course, um, in our daily lives, we know that uh, there are different ways we can perceive different things. So, some methods, for example, we have our five senses. If you want to see something, then... Um, you use your eyes and you can see it. But uh, not everything 
is there to be seen. For example, uh, if we have the uh, a rose uh, flower and someone says, uh, show me the smell of the flower of a rose. So you can't say that you can see it, but you can use a different sense, you can smell it. Same way if uh, there is food, you can't say, show me the smell of the taste. So everything has its own way of perceiving. And uh, the, in a similar way, uh, to find God, we have to know which sense or which uh, method we need to use to perceive God. Now, of course, apart from your five senses, uh, there are also things which uh, you cannot perceive even with any of your five senses. For example, um, you have your emotions, you have your the emotion of love, the emotion of hate. We all know that it's there, but um, you can't say that uh, I use my eyes to see how much hatred or how much love I have for someone. So in the similar way, uh, God Almighty, because He is above and beyond, He is uh, a being that uh, our minds cannot completely comprehend. So if, uh, if we were to say that uh, God Almighty could be seen with the eyes, then we would, uh, in a way, be limiting God Almighty's uh, power. Because the things we can see with our eyes, those things are limited. Whereas uh, the being of God Almighty, is unlimited. So to perceive God Almighty, uh, there is, uh, you, cannot just, uh, you cannot just limit it to say, okay, show me God and I will believe Him, or show me a method and I will believe Him. There is a, it's a much bigger topic than that. So the dimensions are different, and if you are not, you know, if you are in different dimensions, then you can't uh, physically see, because he is not material, he's not matter, and you are matter, and your physical eye needs material to reflect the light, to see that. And yeah. so you have, you can see him, but you can see him in the spiritual world, isn't it? Uh, definitely, yes. Yeah. So in the Holy Quran, it says, La tudrikuhul absar, wa huwa yudrikul absar that uh, your eyes, your physical eyes, can't actually reach him, but he reaches your eyes. And if the, if the point is that uh, he is not material, and if he was material, then he'd be limited. And we can't limit uh, the presence and power of God. Yes, of course. So, so in our pursuit of spiritual closeness to Allah, there is often a curiosity about Allah's origins. How do we as believers reconcile with the idea of Allah's eternal existence alongside his role as the creator of the universe? So, so the thing is that uh, there you can get into a very uh, deep philosophical argument uh, about uh, the prophets that have come, uh, 1, 000, uh, over 100,000 prophets which have come over time and they've all given testimony that... Uh, they have had a connection with this person. Now, all of them can't be collectively saying uh, falsehood, Naudubillah. So, uh, but if we look at it in a more logical point of view, then um, everything we believe in this earth uh, has a creator. For example, um, if there is a table, we know that there was someone that built the table for the table to exist. It didn't just uh, appear on its own. If we... Uh, look at a bigger picture, the universe, we, uh, we believe that uh, everything had a creator and in that point where we are unable to 
say who created this thing, we believe that to be God. So there is a chain of creation, uh, creation and creator, and the one you can't explain that chain. So if you go all the way back to the origins of the universe, and you can't explain it any further after that, that is what we believe um, is uh, God Almighty. That's great. Um, so as we embark on a journey to deepen our relationship with Allah, the reality of suffering in the world can raise questions. How do we yes. as believers interpret the presence of suffering in the context of trying to build spiritual closeness to Allah? So um, these, uh, this is a, a, something that uh, people confuse quite a lot. There are two laws which are running parallel to each other. One is the law of nature, which uh, everyone knows about, and the other is the law of uh, Sharia, or the divine commandments of Allah. And uh, you cannot mix one with the other. So you cannot say that uh, if someone is uh, acting according to the law of Sharia, that uh, he wouldn't uh, come under the law of nature. For example, um, if there is an ocean, uh, and uh, there is a believer who believes in Allah and is righteous. If that person thinks that because I am righteous, so I can go into this water and I won't drown, that won't be the case because that uh, is the law of nature. So if you go into the ocean and you can't swim, the law of nature will act and uh, you will drown. So these are two different laws. There's the law of nature and law of Sharia. And uh, the confusion people have is that they try to mix the two. They say, oh, if these are righteous people, how can they are suffering? When in actual fact, they're not suffering because of their righteousness, they're suffering because they are coming under the law of nature. Okay, and, um, you know, uh, because, you know, you, you, you've spoken about the existence of the Creator of God. So, if somebody wants to he wants to reach God, he wants to get close to God. What would be your advice uh, in, a, in a few minutes, please? So I would suggest to whoever wants to get close to Creator, the first and foremost thing is to uh, increase your knowledge about the Creator. So if you can, uh, you can know what you are trying to achieve, achieving that uh, becomes easier. And uh, the most, this most simple way of doing that is to look at examples of those people who claim uh, that they've had communi communion with God, those people who say that they've had a connection with God. And uh, once um, you learn about their life and you learn how they were able to connect with the Creator, and you know the actual um, being of a Creator, for example, um, you should know what uh, God Almighty's attributes are. Uh, you asked about uh, who created God. Uh, a way of uh, understanding is that uh, everything has its own properties. For example, a table, it might have the property of four legs, and it might have something like a uh, horizontal layer which uh, you can put stuff on, and then that will be classified as a table. Now, if you take the four legs away, then you can't call that a table anymore. In the same way God Almighty has attributes, we believe Him to be all-knowing, all-seeing, all-hearing, and we believe He created everything and nothing created Him. So if we can understand these attributes and then look at the lives of those people who have actually experienced uh, God Almighty and we put these two together, 
then inshallah we can also act according to their example and find God Almighty. Thank you very much, uh, Imam Alim Zia, for joining us this afternoon and giving us some good hints. Thank you. Have a nice evening. Thank you very much. That was Imam Alim from the Jamia UK, and he was speaking about the existence of God and how we can achieve his closeness. Now, we were talking about the book which has been written by the second caliph of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, Hazrat Mirza Bashiruddin Mahmood Ahmad. And uh, he initially, in this book, he has given us the arguments which the, the, through these arguments he has, um, he has made us think about the existence of God, that if we question ourselves, how we reach a conclusion that there should be God. Now, he also gives tips to us how we can get nearness and closeness to to Allah, the Almighty, the Creator. He said that in the quest for spiritual elevation and closeness to Allah, the practice of mandatory Islamic values embodied in the five pillars of Islam serve as a fundamental root. These pillars are not merely acts of worship, but are comprehensive guidelines that shape a Muslim's life towards righteousness and divine proximity. By understanding and adhering to these uh, pillars, a believer embarks on a journey of spiritual growth, moral excellence, and a deepened connection with Allah. The, now, just we'll be going through those five pillars of Islam. The first of, first of them is the declaration of faith that is also called shahada. And many, many of the people who want to convert to Islam, they just come to the mosque and they say that we have uh, declared our shahada, our declared our faith in one God. So the cornerstone of a Muslim's faith, the shahada, is a simple yet profound declaration of the belief in the oneness of Allah and the prophethood of Muhammad, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. So this affirmation is the entry point to Islam and the basis upon which all other beliefs and practices stand. By regularly reaffirming this declaration, a believer constantly renews their commitment to Allah and His guidance, nurturing a relationship of trust, love, and submission to His will. The second pillar, which is called Salat or prayer, the obligatory prayer, is the spiritual lifeline of a Muslim, a direct dialogue with Allah that takes place five times a day. These moments of prayer are not just ritualistic acts, but opportunities for personal reflection, spiritual cleansing, and seeking guidance. Through Salat, a believer steps away from the temporal world to connect with the Creator, fostering a sense of peace, gratitude, and closeness to Allah. The discipline and regularity of prayer also reinforces a Muslim's consciousness of Allah's omnipresence and uh, and being there. Almsgiving, the third pillar, is uh, is also called, the formal name is zakat. So zakat is the act of giving a fixed portion of one's wealth to those in need. is a practical demonstration of faith that purifies the believer's wealth and soul. It embodies the principles of social justice and compassion, reminding Muslims that their wealth is a trust from Allah, meant to be shared with the less fortunate. By fulfilling this pillar, a believer cultivates qualities of generosity and empathy, strengthening their bond with Allah through service to his creation. 
So that that's the third pillar. And the fourth pillar, which is coming soon, I think on the 12th of um, March, we have our first fast, uh, fasting during the month of Ramadan. So that is the fourth pillar. And the, um, the fasting during the month of Ramadan is a profound spiritual exercise that enhances self-discipline, patience, and empathy. Abstaining from food, drink, and other physical needs from dawn to dusk, a believer draws nearer to Allah through increased devotion, prayer, and restoration of the, of the Holy Quran. This act of worship serves as a reminder of the transient nature of worldly players and the importance of gratitude uh, and reliance on Allah. The fifth pillar is called pilgrimage or hajj to Mecca. The hajj uh, pilgrimage is a once-in-lifetime obligation for those who are physically and financially able, symbolizing the unity of Muslim ummah and their submission to Allah. Performing hajj allows the believer to follow in the footsteps of the prophets seeking forgiveness for their sins and experience a profound sense of spiritual renewal and unity with fellow Muslims from around the world. The rituals of Hajj encapsulate the essence of Islamic faith and history, reinforcing the believer's commitment to Allah and his guidance. So all these five pillars of Islam are essential practices that help Muslims grow closer to Allah and embody Islamic values. Through these pillars, believers align with divine commands, fostering spiritual growth and a profound connection with the Creator. Each pillar enriches a Muslim's character, guiding them towards a righteous life dedicated to serving Allah and the community. Now, among these these five pillars, if you look at them, they they all have a, like a limited timings, except one. And one, that is that you have to constantly throughout your life say your five times prayers regularly. That's an obligation. And that is one pathway which takes you to God Almighty. You can communicate with Him. So about the importance of performing namaz properly to establish a bond with Allah, um, uh, I'm going to play an audio clip from uh, a Vakfeno speech. These, these are the life devotees. Um, to whom the fifth head of the worldwide Ahmadiyya Muslim community addressed last May. Um, uh, let's listen to this audio. And for this, the most crucial element is to develop a personal bond and loving relationship with Allah, the Almighty. As I have said many times before, you must elevate the standards of your worship. Every Waqfidindagi and Waqfidinaw must offer the five daily prayers each day with punctuality and should carefully reflect upon the meaning of each prayer. It is narrated that once during the time of the Holy Prophet ﷺ, a Muslim entered the mosque whilst the Holy Prophet ﷺ was sitting with some of his companions. The man had not offered the mass and so offered it on his own. Once he had finished, he approached the Holy Prophet ﷺ, who instructed him to offer it again. The companion did as instructed and returned to the Holy Prophet ﷺ. Once again, the Holy Prophet ﷺ told him to re repeat the prayer. So he went and offered it for a third time. After, after again observing 
him, the Holy Prophet instructed him to pray again. Upon this, the companion said, O Messenger of Allah, I have offered the prayers as I know how and cannot pray in a better way than this. So please teach me how to pray. In response, the Holy Prophet explained how to do justice to Salat. He explained that during Namaz, a person should praise Allah, the Almighty, express his love for Him, and recite Surah Fatiha, Duru Shreef, and all the other necessary prayers while pondering over their meanings. Moreover, the Holy Prophet explained that a Muslim should prostrate in Sajda with complete humility. Hence, you should offer every namaz with due care as prescribed by the Holy Prophet rather than quickly going through the motions. Um, that's uh, you are listening to Hazrat Khalifatul Masih, the fifth, the, the fifth caliph of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, Hazrat Mirza Masoor Ahmad. And uh, we, we do have another clip uh, on, uh, which is from him as well. And that was uh, about how to build your trust with Allah. A high school student asked this question to Hazrat Mirza Masoor Ahmad, the fifth caliph of the worldwide Ahmadiyya Muslim community. And uh, here is his response. My question is that even though I read my five daily prayers and recite the Holy Quran, I still have trouble putting 100% of my trust in Allah. Can you give me some advice so that I'm able to completely put my trust in Allah? So the first thing is that how long do you take in offering Fajr prayer? Five minutes? Uh, five to ten minutes around that time. Four rakas in five to ten minutes. How can you understand? Five. Longer. How can you understand Surah Fatiha in 5 to 10 minutes? You see, <laughs> while offering your sunnah, if you are not offering your Fajr prayer or any of the prayer in congregation, in the mosque, and, and on your own, you should recite Surah Fatiha repeatedly when you are doing your own prayers. And say, Ehdina Sirat al-Mustaqim, Ehdina Sirat al-Mustaqim, Ehdina Sirat al-Mustaqim. So Allah Ta'ala will guide you on the right path. Eh? So repeatedly do it in your prayers. And in your sajdas, fervently pray to Allah Ta'ala that Allah Ta'ala give you the strength to be a good believer and firm in your faith. Right? When you are reading Holy Quran, just reading Holy Quran in Arabic text is nothing until and unless you know the meaning of it. When you are reading the Holy Quran, you should know what has, it is written in the Holy Quran. Right? And for that you should know the translation of it. If you don't know the translation, whichever part of the Holy Quran or the portion of the Holy Quran you recite, then you read the translation of it as well. And find out what are the things written here in the Holy Quran. What are the commandments given here in the Holy Quran? Whether you are doing, practicing those things which have been commanded in the Holy Quran to do, or you are um, keeping you away from the things 
were bad things which have been given in the Holy Quran to refrain from. So if you are not doing like this, how can you firm your faith in the Holy Quran and in Allah Ta'ala? So it will take time. You see, what are you doing? Are you going to school or college, university? I'm going to school, high school. School, grade 12? Yes. Achha. So see, this is your final year in the secondary school. Until and unless you work hard, you know the in-depth knowledge of your subjects which are being taught to you or your whatever is in your syllabus or in your course or in your books. You cannot qualify or succeed. How can you qualify your level of piety and righteousness without struggling hard and striving hard? So you are giving six, seven hours to your studies after schools, before the exams. But here, you don't, you give only five minutes or ten minutes at the most. And even whatever you are reading in the Holy Quran, you don't know what are you reading. So if you don't know about your subject, how can you write the answer? When you see the question paper and you have read the book without knowing what was, what was, what is the meaning of that, you cannot understand the question. Right? To understand the question, you should know the know that where, what is the answer and where it was written in the book, in my syllabus and how, what the teacher taught me about this subject. Then you will try to answer it. Here, you don't know anything about what Allah Ta'ala is saying and you are asking that, how can I believe in Allah Ta'ala? You don't know what Allah Ta'ala is saying, how can you believe in Him? You have to find out. You read the Holy Quran with translation. Then you would know. Then it will strengthen, then it will strengthen your faith and your belief in Allah Ta'ala. That was Hazrat uh, Mirza Masur Ahmad, the head of the Ahmadi Muslim community. He is also the fifth caliph. Uh, of the worldwide Ahmadiyya Muslim community is responding to uh, the question of how to build your trust with Allah. So in addition to um, the mandatory practices we mentioned earlier that are like the five pillars of Islam, uh, our spiritual journey towards closeness with Allah encompasses engaging deeply with the Holy Quran and reflecting on the lives of the prophets. The Quran as the word of Allah offers guidance, comfort, and enlightenment on every aspect of life, urging believers to ponder its verses to grow in faith and understanding. So by regularly reciting, understanding, and implementing the Quran's teachings, we not only fulfill our duty to seek knowledge, but also draw closer to Allah, appreciating His wisdom and mercy. The Holy Prophet, may peace be upon him, said, the best of you is the one who learns the Holy Quran and teaches it to others. See, the thing is that if you if you read something, you understand it to some extent, and then you you read it again and you try to understand it, but you only know it when you are able to teach it to others. So that's why the Holy Prophet, very wisely, he has said that the best of you is the one who not only learns the Holy Quran, but also teaches it to others. So when you are in a position of teaching it to others, that means that you have, 
yourself understood the teachings of the Holy Quran. So if you are supposed to act upon the teachings of the Holy Quran, the guidance which God Almighty has given directly through the Holy Prophet of Islam, then uh, unless you read it and you understand it, you will. How are you? How are you going to be able to follow it unless you understand it? So that's very, very important. Also, understanding the philosophy, reading the um, uh, the explanations which have been the interpretation which has been given by the scholars, then you you try to understand. And then if you read the Arabic and you understand the Arabic, and then you go deeper into the meanings because each and every word, each and every letter even has a certain meaning and, and there is a reason why it has been used. So if you go to that uh, depth and understanding, then you will be able to, uh, and, and you have an intention that you are going to follow it, then of course it is going to help you and you will be able to get closer to God Almighty. Similarly, studying the lives of the, the prophets provides exemplary models of patience, trust, and devotion to Allah. These stories of resilience and faith under trial inspire believers to emulate such uh, qualities in their own lives, reinforcing the importance of reliance of, on Allah and the pursuit of righteousness. Particularly, if you study the life of Muhammad, the Holy Prophet of Islam, Prophet Muhammad, may peace be upon him, you know, you, you have a deep inspiration and the way he lived his life, the way he suffered, the way he, um, he was, uh, pers he, he had the perseverance and he, he had the resilience and, and he was successful and how God Almighty helped him, how God Almighty came to his help in the difficult times he went throughout his life. So the recitation of the Holy Quran and learning about prophets, uh, we find a path to spiritual enrichment and a deeper, more personal connection with Allah. This journey of learning and reflection not only enhances our worship, but also brings us closer to embodying the virtues and the values that define a true believer's character. So we, we have come towards the um, uh, conclusion of our, our program and as uh, we conclude uh, today's discussion, it is clear that establishing a close relationship with Allah encompasses a comprehensive approach that begins with the fundamental recognition of his existence. Through the exploration of the arguments for God's existence, we have laid the foundation for faith, encouraging believers to continuously seek knowledge and strengthen their belief. The practice of the five pillars of Islam serves as a practical framework through which Muslims can express their devotion and submission to Allah, each pillar guiding believers towards a life of righteousness and piety. Beyond this, beyond these obligations, engaging with the Quran and reflecting on the lives of the prophets offers additional pathways to draw nearer to Allah. But there is also one, another aspect, which is um, that if you do good for the mankind, there is also made, you know, the, the holy founder of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, he said that I've come for two purposes. One, to unite you with God Almighty. And second, I've come to remind you of your obligations towards the other human beings, the creation of God. So fulfilling the rights of mankind is also a key way to get closer to Allah. Um, so uh, there was an address by the current head of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, His Holiness Hazrat Mirza Masur Ahmad, may Allah strengthen his hands. And uh, during this address, which was in the International Peace Symposium, um, he uh, answered he, uh, to this, this question. Uh, let's, towards this uh, end of this program, let's listen to this uh, audio. 
it is not possible to fulfill the rights of Allah the Almighty or attain His nearness without fulfilling the rights of our fellow human beings and all of God's creation. True Muslims, therefore, live their lives peacefully and seek to pro propagate peace, tolerance, and mutual understanding in society. Indeed, Amdi Muslims believe that the founder of our community was sent by Allah the Almighty to draw the attention of mankind towards these core fundamental Islamic principles of fulfilling the rights of worship of God Almighty, fulfilling the rights of humanity, and seeking to spread peace and harmony throughout the world. He bequeathed us, to us a legacy of peace by making it clear that there is a direct correlation between the worship of God Almighty and fulfilling the rights of mankind. This is something to keep in mind as we gather in this building that stands adjacent to the main mosque and so forms part of the mosque complex. Mosques are built for the worship of Allah the Almighty. And it is stated in the Holy Quran that if a person does not fulfill the rights of God's creation, their prayers and worship will be rejected. Indeed, the Quran states that the worship of those who fail to pay heed to other people's rights will be the means of their downfall and humiliation rather than the means of their salvation. Furthermore, it is essential to note that Muslims are commanded to build their mosque in the direction of the Holy Kaaba, the sacred house of Makkah, and to worship towards it. Yet, it is not enough to merely turn one's physical direction towards the Holy Kaaba. Rather, Muslims and their mosques must fulfill the objectives of the Kaaba outlined in chapter 3, verse 98 of the Holy Quran, where it states that whosoever enters the sacred house of Allah enters peace. The, this Quranic verse means that a true Muslim upon entering a mosque shall himself enter a state of peace and shall be by fulfilling the rights and commands of God prove a beacon of peace and security for others. All our mosques spiritually mirror the Holy Cup where in they serve not only as an abode of worshipping God Almighty but are also a means of fulfilling the rights of mankind and establishing peace in the world. As Muslims, we pray five times a day 
and in each prayer it is incumbent upon us to recite the first chapter of the holy quran in its second verse allah the almighty proclaims that he is the lord of all the worlds and all of all people he is not just the provider and sustainer of muslims but he provides for and sustains christians jews hindus sikhs and indeed people of all religions and beliefs he grants them life and he fulfills their basic needs through his grace and compassion consequently from the very start of the holy quran muslims are taught that the fundamental pillar of islamic teaching is that a sincere muslim must never harm the people of other faiths or religions harbor any form of hatred or speak ill of them in any way as we are all the creation of god almighty indeed it is our conviction and teaching that allah the almighty fulfills the needs of those who do not appreciate his grace and reject his very existence not only does he provide for them but he also grants them the fruits of their labor this is the concept of the all merciful god in whom we believe surely those who have faith in such a gracious god can never seek to undermine the peace and well-being of others thus it is purely to attain the nearness and love of such a benevolent and loving god that the ahmadiyya muslim community strives to foster peace and harmony around the world listening to the voice of islam radio broadcasting on dab and via the internet 24 hours a day 7 